All right, we're, we're continuing a, a series this week. Uh, we've been going through the last few weeks just kind of talking about Redeemer DNA and kind of what, what our DNA is as a church. And so it's a great week. Uh, I know we got some new visitors in the room. It's a great week to come check out and learn a little bit about the church as we're celebrating our birthday and, and talking about what we're about. So you heard a lot of this in the, the, the video, so I'm not going to rehash all of it, right? But what we, what we strive to be from the very beginning is a gospel-centered community on mission, right? a, a community rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his life, death, and resurrection, that that's where we center ourselves. And out of that, that we're, we're pushed into community with one another, that, that Jesus doesn't save us as isolated individuals to like a lifelong quiet time with him, but he saves us into a family, into a church universal, and, and we live that out in its local expression. And that, that that community, by nature, centered on the gospel, we're moved out, right? We don't just huddle up and hide out, but we're pushed out to take the gospel, to proclaim the goodness of Jesus to those around us. And so the mission of every church really is, is to make disciples, right? That's what Jesus tells us, Matthew 28, go make disciples. And so we want to be a church that, uh, of disciples that make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples. We want to be a, a church that plants churches, that plant churches. Uh, that's, that's part of our commitment as a part of Acts 29 uh, Church Planning Network. We want to be a multiplying church. We want to see people come to know Jesus and join in the mission that he's called us to. And so if we're, that's our mission, right, to make disciples. And we've been talking about we need to know what a disciple is. And so we've been sharing this definition. It should be up here. Uh, for you. A disciple is a spirit-led follower of Jesus, united with a gospel community on mission to people of all nations for the glory of God, right? To settle for like a disciple is simply a follower of Jesus is, that's true, but it's just, it's not big enough, right? It doesn't encapsulate all that it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so, so this is kind of a, a succinct summary of what we think through the scriptures that says this is what a, a disciple is, Right? And so we've been walking through these four components. You kind of see them broken down line by line. Spirit-led follower of Jesus. That's our gospel identity. Right? That we're sons and daughters of, Jesus, uh, of God through, through faith in Jesus Christ. That we've been adopted into a family. That we are the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's who we are. We're spirit-led followers of Jesus. That's our identity. And we're united with the gospel community. Right? We're connected to community with one another. We talked about that last week. And this week we're going to focus on the third line, on mission to people of all nations. And, and that's fitting for this day when we're celebrating three years and, and celebrating the fruit of mission that we've seen. Uh, you, you heard some testimonies in the video. Uh, you, see, you could look around the room if you've been here from the beginning. Like There's, there's fruit that, that the Lord is, is, is just bearing amongst us. And so we're, we're celebrating that. And we're celebrating baptisms today. Um, it, it's, it's fitting that we would talk about, about mission. Uh, probably the most frequent question I've got asked through the years about planting this church is why? Right? Why do we need another church? Right? Why, why plant another church? And so the, I'll give you the short summary of it. But, but about seven, eight years ago, I, I did college ministry, campus ministry for 14 years before we started Redeemer, uh, which means I'm old, uh, just turned 40. Um, but uh, so seven or eight years ago, uh, I kind of experienced what I would call a gospel awakening. Right? And not that I was a, a new believer. I was already serving in ministry at that time. But kind of an awakening to the gospel is more than just the ABCs of the faith. It's kind of what Tim Keller says. It's the A to Z. It's everything. It's not just how we enter the faith, but it's how we grow in the faith. 
That the gospel is what renews my heart and enables me to overcome my sin. The gospel is what moves me to connect more deeply with one another in community. The gospel is what moves me to share the hope that I have in Jesus with others. It's everything. And so that kind of awakening kind of started stirring some things within me. Along with that came just this growing appreciation for what I saw in the scriptures of the central importance of the local church. Right? Uh, we're not down on parachurch ministries. We're thankful for the work of parachurch ministries. We have students here representing a number of them, crew and CSF and RUF, and I'm probably going to navigators. And, and then, you know, uh, Cape Outreach is a little different because they partner with us. Like, we're their church. They're not really a parachurch ministry. They're, they're kind of like an arm of Redeemer here in, the, in that partnership. But we're, we're thankful for that help. Like, we need help, but, we want, but the, the, the scriptures show the central importance of the local church. If you look at the mission Jesus gave us, he also gave us a strategy, right? Plant churches that plant churches that plant churches and take the gospel all over the place. And so all of that kind of started coming together. We started meeting people uh, who weren't just 18 to 22, uh, who needed community, needed the gospel. And, and we felt like God was calling us to, to start a church to, to, to reach some of those folks. We started praying, Crystal and I, discerning that call, and, and God moved us forward in that. We got assessed through Acts 29, and they said, go for it, moved us forward in that, and so we've, we've been doing that since. But I had a number of folks all along that way, including some other pastors in town. A lot of pastors here were very, really encouraging, like, this is great, this is awesome, but some of them were like, we don't need you, right? We don't need another church in Bloomington. We've got enough churches here. All we need to do is get those churches healthier and get people directed toward them, right? That, I heard that. But then I had another friend, an uh, older gentleman named Bob Vaco, who planted churches in France and Australia, works with church planters all over the world, uh, even to this day. And, and he would tell me, it's always easier to have a baby than it is to raise the dead, right? <laughs> You'll get that in a minute, right? And so... And then it was like you look at the statistics and like from what I could ta- tell from the pastors I talked to who have been here laboring for years, about 88% of Monroe County is from an evangelical perspective, unchurched, dechurched people. 88%, which means of the churches that we do have, we're reaching about 12% of the population here, which means we could use some more, right? And not just this one, but we could use some more churches in this area. And so... Why do we plant Redeemer? Because Jesus has given us a mission to make disciples. And the most effective way of making disciples that we see in the scripture is to plant churches. And so that's why we did that. And as we're thinking on the DNA of our church, the DNA of a disciple, it makes it clear to us in the scriptures that what, what part of what it means to be a disciple is that we are making disciples. That we join in that mission. That we're reproducing people not just to come and fill up a room at a church gathering, but we're reproducing people who will go from this place and join us to make more disciples who will make more disciples and continue that. We understand that, I think, right? All of us in this room, probably, if you're a Christian, you're coming in here, you probably grasp that. That's what we're called to do. We understand it intellectually, but then we're like, but what about... This hostile culture, right? Uh, we live in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile to the, go- the, to the gospel, to Christianity. How, how do we do that? Like, I, I don't know if I want to stick my neck out and do that. Uh, how do I muster up the courage? How do we do that? Well, let's look at our text today. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And let's stand together. If you turn there in your Bibles. You've got some page numbers for those great ESV Bibles there. Let's stand together and let's hear from God's word. 
1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time to gather together to hear from your word. And we pray that you would, you would stir our hearts Lord, that we would be filled with awe at your grace in our lives to a point where we couldn't help but share it. Lord, I pray that you would move us, you would grow us in faith to be your ambassadors in this city and beyond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. Living on mission as disciples, if we're going to do this, it starts with an understanding that we worship a missionary God, right? We worship a God who is a missionary, right? A missionary God. What we see throughout the Bible, for the storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, is God's desire to have a people for himself. His desire to have a people for himself. You see that in the language of this verse, 1 Peter 2.9, right? You, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, right? This language is referring to, to God's people, this desire he has to have a people for his, himself. He, it's referring to his people, his called out ones, those who he has chosen and set apart to be his people, and it's clear that Peter, who writes the letter of 1 Peter, the, the Apostle Peter, um, one of the original 12, one of the three, right? He views the church as a new Israel, right? He's, he's, he's using this language from the Old Testament referred to the people of Israel. And he's saying, this is you, church. This is you, people of God, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is you now. And he, he seems to even just be restating what's, what's written about Israel in Exodus chapter 19, Verses 5 and 6. Let me read that to you. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Peter takes that language, uh, what's said about Israel in the Old Testament, and now he applies it to the church. Right? He applies it to the church. And in the church, God is making a people for himself. He's making a people for himself from every tribe and tongue and language. And he does that, how? By moving toward us. Right? God moves toward us. Like, we don't work our way to him. He comes after us. He, he moves towards us. He's a missionary God. And listen, he has to be. He has to be. Because of your sin, because of my sin, he has to move toward us. We cannot move toward him. Right? Sin is not just like a few mistakes that we've made that we can just like, you know, work real hard to kind of cover up and make up for, right? It severs our relationship with God. It is outright rebellion. It's declaring war on God. Our sin does that. It destroys our connection to God. And there's no way we can bridge the gap of our sin and reach him. No amount of good works, no amount of good effort of coming to church every Sunday, of putting money in the offering plate, of doing good things, being nice, smiling to people, that will never get us to God. There's no hope that way. God had to move toward us. He had to, he had to pursue us and come after us as a missionary. And Jesus if you will, is, is the great missionary, right? the greatest missionary. He goes on the greatest mission trip of all time, right? 
a cosmic mission trip where he steps out of the comforts of heaven and comes to a foreign land, being born as a man. Jesus lives a life that we never could, right? Perfect obedience in in every way. In every place that we fail, that we sin, Jesus is perfectly obedient and righteous. And he obeys the law. He satisfies the law in our place. We sang that this morning. And then Jesus goes to the cross, And he dies the death that we deserve for our sin, the just penalty for our rebellion against God. He goes to the cross, he takes that in our place. And then on the third day, he's resurrected, victorious over sin and death. And that through his finished work, through faith in Jesus Christ, he might save a people for himself. He moves towards us. And and God's rescue of us is all his doing from start to finish. It's a one-handed salvation. It's a one-handed salvation. And this is huge, I think, for our understanding of mission. And we'll, we'll get to that as we progress through here. But, but this is pivotal for shaping how we are free to move out and free to share and free to engage and share the gospel with others. God saves the people for himself. Right? You didn't save yourself, right? He saved you. Peter says here, you are a chosen race. Chosen. In other words, it's God's grace that saves you. God's choice that saves you. Ephesians chapter 1, this is what Apostle Paul says there, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption. As sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Right? And so now we just stepped into one of those great theological debates of the ages, right? Where you have people on one side who are like, God chose you, right? And then other people are over here like, no, no, no. You chose God, right? He didn't, he didn't make you. You, you chose him. So which one is it, right? And we looked at the Bible, and this is what the Bible says. Yes. Right? Yes. Both. Right? Your choice to embrace Jesus in faith was a real choice. We're not a bunch of pre-programmed robots, right? Which is what folks who say, no, you chose God, want to say about the folks over here who say, God chose you, Right? We're not. Your choice is real. But the order is really important here. The Bible says yes, but the order is significant. Your choice was real, but you were only able to make that choice because he first chose you. He first chose you before the foundation of the world. He predestined to adopt you through faith in Jesus Christ, through the finished work of the cross. Order is significant. Right? And this is not, it's not just a couple verses of the Bible we pick out. It's the, the storyline of the scriptures. Romans 3, 10 and 11. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Right? On your own, you couldn't choose God if he didn't first choose you. You wouldn't choose God if he didn't first choose you. None of us. But, but listen to me. Rather than arguing like the, the, the positions here... What I want to encourage you is, is let's just acknowledge that this is wonderful, incredible, good news. 
His grace in His sovereign choice, right, is, is wonderful good news. It, it, this means that salvation is all on God from start to finish. Right, the God the Father in eternity past planned your rescue. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, lived out, executed, and accomplished your rescue. And that the Holy Spirit of God invaded your heart, awakened your heart, and blessed you with the gift of faith. To make that choice. That real choice to embrace Jesus Christ. It's all God from start to finish. A one-handed salvation. Which means it's all His grace to the praise of his glorious grace, right? Which means he gets all the glory. It's not us. Like, it's not like, well, I, you know, really made that decision that day, and, and it's all, you know, I kind of, it's on me, right? No, it also means that your, your salvation is not hanging in the balance based on what you do or don't do. Well, well, what do I choose in this moment? Did I choose God in this moment, or did I not choose God in this moment, and where do I stand now? No, it means you are saved secure because it's all his doing. Right? Your salvation is not on your shoulders. It was on Christ's shoulders. It's all on his shoulders. And he's up to the task. Saved and secure in Jesus. And he gets the glory. He gets all the glory. So we worship a missionary God who pursued you. Who rescued you in the person and work of Jesus. And then you know what he does? He saves us and then he sends us. He, he saves us and then he sends us. He welcomes us into the family, and then he releases us into the world. And he makes us a missionary people. All right, back to 1 Peter 2.9. It says we've been made his people. Why? Why? Well, it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why. That Jesus might get all the glory. That other people might hear about all the glory of Jesus through what he's done in your life, what he's done in many, 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 many other lives throughout history. Right? That he would be worshipped. God moves towards us and he saves us and he renews us and he transforms us. And then he moves us out toward other people who need to know Jesus. To love, to serve, to bless, to proclaim his excellencies, to proclaim his greatness in saving us, that it was all him. It was all grace. I did nothing to earn or deserve this salvation. It was all Jesus, all his goodness and grace. The reality is every week when we gather together to worship as a body, or every morning that you get up out of bed and you open your Bible and you dig in to read and you come before God in prayer, what should God say to us in those moments? Like as we approach him and worship this morning, right? As we approach him and worship each morning in the word, what should God say to us? Well, this is what he should say to us. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's what God should say to us. But that's not what he says because of Jesus. Are you filled with awe at the grace that each morning his mercies are new? That each morning he greets us with welcome. Children, sons, daughters, come all the way in. Right? What do you need? What, do you, what are you longing for? Share your heart with me. Let me bless you. Let me love you. Let me lavish you with grace upon grace upon grace, day in and day out. That's how he greets us. Are you not in wonder at that? Are we not in wonder that he would greet us that way as his children 
because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did or didn't do. Every morning, that's his greeting to you, Christian. To boldly, confidently come before him and know that you are loved, accepted, approved, adopted into the family of God. That, that should be our response, by the way, is worship. Worship. That a God who has every right to cast us away welcomes us all the way in as deep as we can go into him. And our response of worship should be something that we're not able to contain, right? That we can't help but share. We can't help but share that, right? Not only that, but Jesus commands us to, right? John 17, he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Matthew 28, we, we already mentioned that. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations. Acts 1.8, right before the ascension. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We are a people saved and sent. Saved and sent. And to be a disciple is to be a missionary. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. In fact, I'd go so far as to say there's no such thing as a Christian who is not a missionary. We're saved to proclaim his goodness and grace. So how do we do it? Right? That's, that's a big question. Like, how, how do I share the gospel? Like, like can you show me a few techniques? Can you, what, what kind of training do I need? What kind of equipping do I need? And, and I'm not saying that there's no place for any of that. But let me just say this. Like, nobody had to train me to talk about how much I love the Yankees. Right? I'm a big Yankee fan, and that's where y'all, most of you will boo. But um, that's okay, because I console myself with 27 world championships. See? <laughs> See what I mean? Nobody had to teach me to do that. Right? I just, I love the Yankees. I love the history of the Yankees. I, I love rooting for them. And it's been a rough, rough weekend. I don't like the Blue Jays. Um, right? But, but nobody had to teach me to talk about how much I love the Yankees. No one had to teach me that. And, and may, it, may it be the same with Jesus? That you don't necessarily need, like, a new set of skills or training but you just need to believe that the gospel is really good news. It's really good news that his grace is truly amazing. Like maybe we just need to remind ourselves, root ourselves in that to a point where we, we can't help but worship and we can't help but overflow from that worship that we've got to tell other people about the greatness of Jesus. Like I don't need a set of skills. I just need to believe the gospel. I just need to believe. The gospel is what grows us, equips us, and moves us out to live on mission. What about this hostile culture, right? What do you think Jesus encountered a hostile culture? I would say crucifixion was pretty hostile. It was a hostile culture. But yet, he loved you enough to step into that, to take that, to share his love and his grace and his mercy with you. And as we look at how he pursues us, how he's willing to suffer for us, it moves us to be willing to suffer for him, to suffer for his, his worship, for his glory, and to suffer that others might know the hope that we have. The culture doesn't control that. I mean, you look at the places around the world where there's real suffering, right? Real, like, oppression against the gospel, and the church is exploding. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And he will do what he's going to do. Right? He is with us always to the end of the age. We can 
push in and trust and hope and step out. And even if we suffer, he's still with us. He's still good. His grace is still amazing. He's still worthy of our praise. The gospel shows us the urgency of mission. We're not just playing around here with something. This is life and death. And not just life and death here, but life and death eternally. So it moves us to, to, to sense the urgency that we need to love and serve and befriend and open our mouths and give a verbal witness of the goodness and grace of Jesus. The gospel also frees us knowing that it's God who saves from start to finish, right? So it's not all on me to like have like, like studied apologetics and be perfect in apologetics and I can defend and ready to like reflect any defense and question that comes my way, right? I'm like an apologetics ninja up here, right? I'm ready, right? Not, not that you shouldn't study apologetics. You probably should. Yeah, you certainly should. But it's not on your great persuasive ability to, to save someone. It's the gospel that's the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit that awakens hearts to faith. We're just called to be faithful messengers, ambassadors, to step out and share. And that even when we don't know everything perfectly, God can still work because he's still sovereign. He can still work when we, we stumble over our words we're not sure what to say. He can still work through us no matter what our personality type is. I mean, I don't even know what most of you think about me uh, knowing you see me on a Sunday, but I'm, I'm really not an extrovert. I, I test that way sometimes, but I think it's because of what I do more than what I am. I actually like to retreat and be alone. I'm scared of people, um, and especially in large groups. I get intimidated by people. Um, you ask my wife, when we go someplace like you know, a conference like with Acts 29 or, you know, things like that. I'm like, I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm nervous to talk to anyone. That's, that's me. But yet the Lord can still work through me. Then there's my wife who, like, wants to talk to everyone on the planet. It's her goal and mission in life to know every single living person on the planet. And she's out to do that, right? And he obviously can work through that too. Like, he can use all of us. Many parts of the body working together. And the gospel moves all of us to do our part to be on mission. Right? And he moves us on mission as a community. Jesus sends out the 12. He doesn't send them out one by one. You know, go on your own. He sends them out two by two in community. Elsewhere, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what I would say to that is that means community isn't a requirement. It's actually part of the message. It's not a requirement to be in the community. It's part of how we share the gospel. It's part of the message of the gospel. Leslie Newbigin, a famous British missiologist, once said that the, gospel, uh, the community is the only hermeneutic of the gospel. Right? That a community of believing people is the only way that people can actually see and understand and grasp the gospel. To see the way we love and serve and care for one another. Forgive one another when we sin against each other. And, and, and take that out. To the people around us. We're sent on community. A, a gospel-centered community on mission. A people transformed and transforming by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Living it out in community. And as a community, building relationships. Serving the community around us. Caring for people. Connecting them to us and brothers and sisters. And sharing the gospel with our mouth. Right? Opening our mouths and giving a verbal witness about Jesus. Right? If you're not a Christian, you're here today. I pray that through everything that's taken place, the message you're hearing is the grace of Jesus for you. That Jesus lived the life you never could, died the death that you deserve, rose again victorious, that you might know grace and forgiveness for your sin. 
You might know God. You might be welcomed into his family all the way. And and built up, equipped, and released and sent out to join this community, the universal church, on mission for his glory. I pray that you'd hear that today. I'd love to visit with you, talk to you about that, if that's you. If you're a believer in the room, I pray that you're hearing the same thing. That you're encouraged by the, the message of how Jesus has rescued you. That it moves you to worship. It moves you to worship to a point where you can't help but share. And it moves you to be on mission. Not mission just globally. We want to be a part of that global mission. We want to support that. We want to sin. We want to go. But also across the street. That it would move you to go across the street and learn the name of that neighbor. To learn who they are. To invite them into your home. Into your life. To introduce them to brothers and sisters in community in the church. And together to share the hope that we have of Jesus. And that God would multiply each of us together. He'd send us out together to the city and beyond to see many, many more come to know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I would pray the gospel would move us together this morning. Right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to, to worship and to celebrate. And I pray, as awesome as it is to know that um, in a church plant, like to be here three years later is a blessing. And we, we are, we're, we're so thankful for that. But the real thing we must celebrate every Sunday, every day, is, is your love for us, Lord Jesus. That you came, that you pursued, that you rescued and redeemed us. And you welcomed us into your family. And you've built us up and you're sending us out to be a part of that mission. Lord, that you've blessed us to get a front row seat to see the work that you do in the hearts and lives of others. I pray that you'd fill us with a, a, deeper, a deeper awe at who you are and what you've accomplished and that you would move us to join you on mission in this place and beyond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.